and welcome to episode number 105 of the Lions Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by Brett Colson, where we go over all the big bets, all the big news, all the big happenings in this crazy gambling industry that's going on. Guys, we are on Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Apple, all the places that you hear podcasts, so please go in and give us that five-star review and subscribe as well. We do appreciate all of that at the Lions US, at PlayPix US on Twitter. We're going to have an awesome interview with John DeSilva. He has done some great work over at the Lions on horse racing, guys. Horse racing coming back in a big way later this month. First race of the Triple Crown, so you're going to want to stick around for that. Great information and how to go about handicapping and betting as well, so be sure and be there for that. We're going to hit on really interesting ESPN article on ping pong. You've heard us joke about it here on the podcast, but we're going to talk about that as well. We'll also hit on everything that's going on in the sports world here. So Brett, let's kick things off with um, a big shout out to me because apparently I am an amazing NASCAR handicapper. I didn't even know it. And here I am the last three NASCAR races. I have successfully picked the winner I am betting small micro dollars in this, so I'm not I'm not rich, guys. Do not worry about that. I have enough. I I have enough for like not even a good steak dinner, maybe like a like an outback steakhouse steak dinner or something that I'm winning here. But hey, apparently apparently NASCAR is my thing now. All right, first of all, how many how many drivers are you betting outright? Three every week? Every you week. can't you can't go Vegas Dave and bet on every single racer and then say you won when you no, lost money. Three every week. That's so it. three. I pick three every week. Uh, now, if you want to get into the strategy of why I'm picking who I'm picking, let's just let's just be honest here. Uh, not real in depth. This is for fun. That's why I said it's like it's micro bets for me. Um, but it's fun. It's a sweat. It's on television. I can tune in towards the end and see what what's going on, which is what I did this past week. Even the wife was in on it because I wow. told her which three. Listen, I told her which three drivers we had. So we were kind of sweating it a little bit there to, together at the end. And so, hey, you know, I mean, that's all we can ask for, right? Yeah, you got a little lucky there. The, the saying goes that only the last 50 laps matter in NASCAR. This past weekend, it was the final two laps. When, although you did say you did have Logano, right? So he was one I of did, the drivers that crashed there at the end, and Keselowski kind of stole a victory away. I guess Chase Elliott could have won there too. So I mean, you weren't locked into a win, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, true. But I did have I did have two of the top three going into the very end there. So I was I was feeling pretty good about everything. It actually worked out in my favor just for the fact that Keselowski was longer odds. Yeah. So uh, than Logano, so that actually worked out. One of Want a couple of extra, uh, you know, whatever in the hell. Uh, I want a blooming onion, I guess, like an extra, an extra blooming onion there at at, at Outback. This is a stupid do you do question. I, do you do blooming onions? Well, first of all, I don't eat onions, so no. I don't. So but, me neither. I, it's like it's like the most famous thing at well, Outback. I don't. I don't eat don't, onions. So you don't eat anything. So <laughs> <laughs> listen, I've come around in my old age, but I, I I just can't get there with onions, and I don't care if they are fried. Everyone's like, oh, it doesn't even taste like onion. They're fried, and you dip it in the sauce and all that. And I'm like, you know, I, I'll just I'll, I'll stick to the things I know. Yeah, I don't do Outback Steakhouse, so I've never had a Bloomin' Onion. I've never had a steak at the Outback Steakhouse, so I don't know anything about that. Never once in your whole life, huh? I don't think so. Do you do, I mean, obviously you probably try to not, but I mean, do you, if you ever go to a chain steakhouse, what what would be the chain steakhouse? God, is Ruth's Ruth's Chris, is that a chain? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Ruth's Chris is amazing. Yeah, that would be my choice, but I try to avoid like an Applebee's or a, I don't know, any of those. Yeah, no, Roos Chris is amazing. Like, I don't yeah. care what anybody says. Like, that is right up there with all of these, all of these, like, five diamond restaurants we have here in Vegas. Like, I would put a sizzling with butter just gooed all over it out, um, um, Roos Chris steak up against those any day. I'm telling you, it's just, um, I know that a lot of people are going to claim that I'm, I'm crazy, but that's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, no, yeah, they're, we don't have one here, but if, if we did, they'd be, you know, probably a top five steakhouse in Buffalo for sure. Maybe even top two. <laughs> we, 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 don't, we don't do steaks all that well here in buffalo we do wings and like beef like uh roast beef sandwiches that's ah, that's, that's okay. our forte yeah well when i come visit you you'll have to take me for a imagine you coming to beef. buffalo I, I want you to come to <laughs> buffalo in like december like mid-december I, I, 
you know, I mean, maybe not, you know, maybe no, maybe, maybe not. You're right. Yeah, you're probably right. not. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, the UFC plowed on here, Brett, that is uh, a bit in the books this past week. It was live on ESPN and ESPN Plus, so you didn't even have to pay for that. We do have a pay-per-view that is coming up this weekend, UFC 250, so you will have to come out of pocket for that one. Wanted to bring this up. We We will have the handicap of this and some articles on this over at play picks and the lines as well. But uh, if you want to get in on this early, the, the lines are already up over at DraftKings Sportsbook and, and FanDuel Sportsbook and whatnot. But I think the, the biggest thing here is just from a DFS perspective, because with the lack of sports that's going on out there, Brad, I mean, we actually have a millionaire maker for MMA, which this is just unheard of. I mean, people were jumping up and down the first time we got a six figure prize pool for an MMA contest. And now here we have a seven figure first prize. That's incredible. I was amazed. Yeah. The last one was like a million dollar prize pool. This is a million dollars for first, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is okay. You tell me, cause I don't know. Is, is the main card here a bigger draw than the Ferguson bout? Yeah. Yeah. You know, ish there, this is a fairly, if we're just being honest, right? I mean, if we're just being honest, it's a it's a pretty weak from a name value standpoint. Yeah. There are some really good fights on the card if you're a hardcore if you're a hardcore MMA fan, there's no doubt about it, but if you're talking just from a a name value standpoint here, it definitely leaves a little bit to be desired. So it's going to be I think there is a decent chance they struggle to sell pay-per-views for this one like this i is, i would i would not be surprised if this one kind of disappoints from a pay-per-view buy standpoint especially considering now it isn't just the only game in town you know what i'm saying like we right. do nascar is back we've had a couple of golf events now they're starting to be things show up and and whatnot so yeah i don't know with with uh you know the the co-main events and things of you know rafael listen Javier Sunsiao and Cody Garbrandt are, are great fighters. Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sand, Sandhagen, like that is one of the better fights that the UFC could even make right now. But again, these are all when persona non grata when it comes to casual uh, sports fans. And, and even people who are would consider themselves casual MMA fans, probably these names don't necessarily get their motor running all that well either. So I think this one's probably going to struggle to sell here. That being said, Maybe that means there is a huge edge in the DFS contest, though, because <laughs> take my money. If you want to take the yeah, if you want to take the time to put in and do a little research here and maybe throw in, you know, I always recommend in these DFS contests to throw in, you know, four or five entries if you can afford it instead of doing just a single bullet, because, you know, there's weird judging decisions here and there. And if 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 you think that there's like three different versions of a lineup that really feels good to you, then I would, I would go and try to put those in again. If you have the bankroll, if you have, if you can afford it, because what you don't want to do is have a bad judging decision or just a, a fluke knockout or something like that end up costing you some real big money here. But again, with, without it being somebody that, you know, you even Brett as a, as a, as a sports fan, but just a super casual, you know, MMA fan without any names that really get you going, I'm wondering if there's going to be a lot of dead money in the in in this like UFC contest because people just, you know, three hours before the event starts goes out of hell with it. I'll throw my 20 bucks in there. Well, there's no Matt Brown in the card this time. So I, that's immediately I'm already drawing live because apparently that guy was the worst <laughs> and I had him on all my teams because you he's told old. Me he's to. old. Look, he's old. He's old. He's <laughs> old. You know, that, that, that's what it comes down to. He's old. He was old. We did win. We, we did win all the other ones that we were that we were talking about. Uh, with that one. But again, just uh, head to the lines, head to play picks later on in the week, and we'll have breakdown of this card here if you do want to get involved from a betting standpoint. And again, you know, from an MMA standpoint, I mean, from a DFS standpoint, not going to cost you very much money, some real big money up top. So get yourself a sweat if you can afford it. It's It's pretty cheap. And you're probably, I'm going to assume now that it looks like sports are going to resume Brett, I can't imagine we see a MMA millionaire maker. I'm not going to say ever again, because that's stupid of me to say, but I can't imagine it happening any, anytime soon. No, this is it. Because we got, I mean, we'll talk about next, actually. But yeah, we've got Premier League coming up next week. We've got the NHL, PGA 
coming, you know, in the next couple of months. So uh, this is probably the last the last chance to, to win a million dollars playing MMA for a while. So let's go ahead and talk about that, that, that Premier League there, as you mentioned. Um, we do have, I mean, we know Bundesliga came back, and so it has already been going. And we talked about that, you know, that there is going to be some golf towards the, the end of the month. But, you know, we do have Premier League coming back. Yeah, it's still pending government approval, I believe. That may have changed uh, today. But I did see today that uh, the league did approve clubs to have friendlies exhibition matches against other premier league clubs which uh is is big news because that i mean that tells you right there the season is the season is coming uh there are strict social distancing rules and coronavirus testing requirements involved with that but obviously a big win for really everybody if the premier league restarts as anticipated you know we saw bundesliga then la liga now epl surely the leagues over here in the u.s are watching closely at what's going on in europe maybe uh maybe that will have an impact on their decision making as far as restarting their seasons because i know some of the leagues are still at a standstill right now but um yeah i'm not i'm not a soccer guy much like i'm not a ufc guy but i am gonna watch when we have premier league next weekend because it's it's pro sports these guys are the best at what they do even though I'm not the biggest soccer fan, right. I, I can appreciate these guys, the, you know, the talent on the field, and uh, it's, it's good to have it back. Now, the NHL, since we talked to you guys last, did come out with their plan as to how they are going to get everything done and getting back to, to play here. They're going to have two hub cities. Those hub cities have yet to be announced, but there will be one hub city for the Eastern Conference. There will be one hub city for the Western Conference. And with that, they will play it out. And, you know, Brett, they are bringing back the top 12 from each conference right now. And they're going to just basically head straight to the playoffs. I know this was something that was rumored for a while, ends up being how they're going to go about it. And I think, you know, my question to you, and if you guys want to read top to bottom, there's lots of confusing stuff as how the draft is going to work and how that's all going to play out. We have an article at the line to go over there, click on it, read uh, top to bottom. We even did a video on it. So you can watch a video version of it as well if you don't like to read. But there is, uh, you know, look, I think from a betting standpoint, though, we should look at this. And and you've talked about this being a hockey guy for a while, that there is a lot of variance in hockey and, you know, a, a, a literally a fraction of an inch can mean the difference between a putt going off a post and bouncing out or a putt going off of a post and bouncing in. And in the playoffs, it means so much here. So as we head into what looks like, you know, a a very, very, you know, interesting way that this is going to play out. How do you look at this from a betting standpoint? Because, I mean, there are there are favorites who are pretty short, right? I mean, like six and a half to one for the Lightning, seven to one, eight to one. We're talking about the Bruins and Golden Knights and, you know, weird things can happen. And this is an even weirder scenario. Well, I think it depends on where you live, first of all. Uh, there, uh, There is, again, a strong, strong regional bias in Las Vegas, especially at Stations Casinos, which are not on the strip and take a lot of action from, local, uh, from locals, presumably Golden Knights fans. So Vegas, by far, is the betting favorite uh, at Stations because the books have so much liability on them. So if you're in Nevada, or Nevada, sorry, or did they get it right the first time? I, I can't. You got it right. You got it. Right. You got oh, it right no, the first time. No, 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 yeah, no. you got it. You got it. You got it. So I mean, if if you have access to some of these books, you might find some value on some of the long shots, just because so much action has come in on Vegas. So that's if if I'm in if I'm in Nevada, there you go. that's where that's where I'm looking is some of the long shots at like Caesars. I thought Caesars has some really nice odds. Some not on on long shots. I saw that the Islanders open like plus one or plus one thousand or hundred to one. Yeah, it must have been 10,000. That's crazy. So, I mean, I, I think you're going to find some some really good uh, long shot action there. You, you mentioned you, Station. Just look as we're talking right now. Knights are four and a half to one. Four and a half to one. That's I know, insane. Like, there's, still, there's still 24 teams in, like, that could potentially win, and, and they're four and a half to one. And it's hockey. <laughs> I, it, it just it, it blows my mind. So I don't if you're in Las Vegas, don't bet on the Knights. You're not going to find a good price there. Um, but yeah, I, I see this. I see uh, some good opportunities at the bottom because it is it is hockey, like you said. Uh, I it's it's so different than like just the 16 team tournament. Like a team like the Islanders, whom I would generally love in this spot, 
they still have to get into the 16 team tournament. Like this play on this play in round is it, it it's tough to cap because it's just it's more games that they have to play to to reach the ultimate goal. Um, some of the, some of the teams here that got buys in the first round, the Flyers are a team that I like. If you can still get them above like 10 to one. I like them. Uh, it was it was pretty amazing to see their odds move versus a team like the the Penguins, who were the five seed. Uh, just because now the the Penguins have to advance through the playing round, and the the Flyers are just sitting there waiting. So uh, definitely did shake some things up here with the the way they aligned this with the twenty four teams. But I'm pretty excited, man. Uh, I'm glad that we're we're still waiting here on the NHLPA to uh, approve this, but it does. I mean, people on the inside do seem optimistic that this will happen. Yeah, and and look, they also have to understand the opportunity here, right? I mean, while it's not what a pure like a purist hockey fan really wants in this, and for it to just skip straight to the playoffs and whatnot, I think that you do have to understand what kind of opportunity this is because now you come in, you're advertising right from the get go that everything is, this is the playoffs. We are going for the championship. Now tune in, let's do this. I think there's going to be some pretty good buzz around this, Brett. I'm not, I'm not, not even saying that facetiously. Like I actually believe that, that hockey is going to get a little bit of a boost from, from this format because people, we talk about it, we keep saying it over and over again, you know, people are starved, people are starved, people are starved, sure. But, you know, look, when they come back and they get their regular sports to note that they are tuning in and the, the teams are already playing for it all, I think that benefits the NHL. For sure. And, and that includes me. The, 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 my, my beloved Buffalo Sabres missed out on this playing series by one point. This is usually the time of year where I swear off hockey because I'm so fed up <laughs> with Buffalo's never ending string of underachievement. But I'm so hungry for sports and hockey that I, I intend on watching hockey every night when it comes back. I can't wait. So uh, even though there are, there are no Sabres in this 2014 tournament, uh, I'm going to be glued to my TV and uh, I'll be playing some DFS and betting on it as well. Absolutely. The ho- hockey mat will return. There's, there, there's no doubt about that. I will be going to NASCAR mat. Hey, listen, back to, listen, back to I'm, hockey mat. I'm already a massive flyers fan. As, as, as I told you, I have, uh, I have some money on them at 20 to one. Yeah. So you got a good feel, price there. Yeah. Feeling, feeling pretty good about the flyers there. So go, go Philly. Let's, uh, let's get this done. On the NBA side of things, people are going to be wondering about what's going on there. There are some rumors going on that it is going to be a singular hub city. It is going to be over in Orlando at the wide world of sports for Disney. Brett, it seems like this is the plan that's going to eventually get adopted. I've seen the kind of blueprints of that area. Weirdly enough, I actually have never, I've done Disney in California. I've never done Disney in Orlando. So I am not familiar with the area and everything that goes on there, but this wide world of sports complex is it's a massive yeah it's like it is massive they have everything that the nba would need there's even golf courses for the guys on off days to go and blow off some steam and yeah. like uh, you know do, like a dozen different restaurants or something you know what I, I, there's basically everything that they could need to make this a singular hub city in the nba be able to play throughout the course of the nba finals yeah, it makes sense. Now the question is, what does the season look like? Do they go straight to the playoffs? Are we looking at 16 teams, 20, 22, 30? Uh, we're still trying to figure that out, I think, unless there's there's been some recent news. But No, that's, that is still where, where we are at. Yeah. There's no, no doubt about that. And I mean, you know, I think that what we can do is start to speculate a, a little bit on what to look for once this does come back, I mean, listen, Brett, if they go straight to, if they go straight to the playoffs here and some of these top seeds get buys and then they've been rested for as long as they have and all that, like, look, we thought that there was pretty much only four teams that had a shot at it really anyway. And then now if, if that's the case and they're getting buys and, and all these other teams are having to play their way through and and all that, it's going to be very tough for me to take any sort of long shot bet here because in a series of five or seven games, whatever they end up adopting or however it goes along, you know, 
the Lakers and the Clippers and the Bucks, it's just going to be really tough, I think, for those teams not to 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 advance. If it's seven games, yes, I agree with you. You know, the cream is going to rise. But five game series after this long layoff, you don't know what these guys have been doing. Um, I don't know. Chris Sheridan wrote an article for us about some of the potential long shots if there is like a twenty four team playoff, and you, like you just you don't know what has happened over the last few months. So I guess I guess you could look at some teams, but yeah, for the most part, I mean, if if there's going to be seven game series here through like the you know the quarterfinals all the way down. It's it's hard to see even a team like like the Celtics or the Raptors or the Sixers. I just don't see them getting through these L.A. teams. Yeah, it's going to be pretty tough here if they were as as they sit right now, if the top two from each side got a buy. And so they didn't even have to play in the first round. Uh, the Bucks and the Raptors would get the buy on the eastern side and then both L.A. teams would get the buy there on the western side, the highest seeded team. In the West that would still have to play would be the Nuggets, who are sitting at three right now, and then the Celtics on the Eastern side would be the highest seed that would still have to play. Uh, It's going to be tough for me. I mean, I'm very interested to see how it does all play out, and maybe, maybe there is some sort of just crazy price that gets hung, Brett. I mean, I'm trying to think what would be a number that they would hang on like you like you mentioned the Sixers or something or let's go to the Western Conference and say you know the Rockets or the Nuggets or something like that like what kind of price they would have to hang for me to feel comfortable enough to bet them and it it would it would it would it would have to be pretty high yeah I mean, it's going to depend on the structure of, of you know, what the, the remainder of the season looks like, too. But, yeah, it's it's tough. I, I have a Raptors ticket at 40 to one, which I feel pretty damn good about. But even oh, no, still, that's like, amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Even still, like I, I feel worse about it now than I did because they were playing so well before this all before this all happened. And it's, you know, now they kind of even playing field with everybody else. I. Yeah, I, I can't see it's look. This ain't hockey, you know. I can't see myself. I can't see myself betting a long right. shot on the NBA. Um, I would rather, much rather, put money on you know some kind of long shot in the NHL over in the NBA here. No doubt about that. When those odds come out, of course, we'll break them down here oh, yeah. on the pod. But uh, definitely something I can't again can't see myself getting off of one of the LA teams or or, or the Bucks. It just seems to me like those three teams cream is going to rise and but that said i would love to be holding your 40 to 1 ticket on the raptors there's there's no doubt about that that seems like something i would love to have in my hand now while we do have hope and optimism and even some plans for some of these other sports what we don't have is that in major league baseball we know we have not played a single game in that season yet the players went ahead this week and uh, put in, put forth a 114 game plan That apparently was not good enough for the owners in the league, which countered with something in the 50-game realm. Brett, look, I don't think they're not going to play this year. I think that they will eventually settle on something, but it seems like the owners are really and truly hell-bent on taking too much of a loss this year. And so, you know, I think it's probably going to settle somewhere closer to that 50 than, than that 114. So, I mean, you know, a 60, 65, 70-ish game season. Now that is where you will catch me betting on some long shots. Like I wouldn't have anyone under 20 to one in my account. Like I, every, every single 20 to one and further team that I thought had even a pulse is going to make it into my account because let's, I mean, we talked about this at the beginning of last year. Do you remember the Mariners started off just on fire, right? I mean, like, you're going to have healthy pitching rotations. You might see three or four man rotations because of, of the way that the season plays out. Guys go on these streaks in baseball where if you're hot for a month, like being hot for a month could get your team into the playoffs, like it, 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 the way that this is going. And so that is one thing where we say, yeah, not so much on the NBA side of things on the major league baseball side of things. It is going to be all long shots for me. And what's interesting is MLB futures have stayed up throughout all this and mostly have stayed unchanged uh, the World Series odds, even though the length of the season and you know the potential realignment of divisions and teams 
will have an impact on the outcomes of these markets. So I'm interested to see what happens if and when there is a solution between the owners and the players and how the books react and, of course, how the market reacts. If you think there's a chance that there will be like a 54-60 game regular season, get your long shot bets in now before the prices adjust. We, we think the books will keep those tickets live if they change it to 60 games, right? Or will I mean, they- it, 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 I cannot imagine that they would be, that, that they would, well, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, there's probably something within all of, there's probably some sort of minutia depending on what book that you, you bet with as to what they can and can't cancel. I mean, you know, uh, the futures tickets for the, for the NHL are live. Yeah. You know, but and, and they've already played 60 some games. Right, right, exactly. And so I can tell you this, as we sit right now, you wouldn't catch a Dodgers or a Yankees or an Astros ticket anywhere near me. Dodgers at plus 375 at DraftKings, Yankees at plus 400 and Astros at plus 650, zero chance. Like give me one of these teams that's got three good starters or, or two and a half good starters and they are going to find their way into my account. I mean, yeah, it's not the 20 to one I was just talking about. Like the Nationals at 18 to one. Tampa, you look here man. at Tampa. the Yeah, at the Rays at 18 to one. You're looking at the Cardinals who always are scrappy at 20 to one. Like these teams right here that just really, if you're talking about a really short season, you really only need like two stud horse pitchers and then a third guy that's like capable and things could get wacky, man. There are some good prices out there. I will say if, if you look around, there are some really nice prices on like the Reds and the White Sox teams that are expected to improve this year who have some pitching at the top and some nice young talent, a team that could be pretty sneaky if there are 54 games in a regular season and just find their way in the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, I see, unlike the NBA, I see a lot of opportunities here at the bottom with some of these Major League Baseball teams. Now, we can't say that the that they won't get refunded. Again, it just depends on which book you bet at and how they go about all of this stuff. But I'll put it this way. It can't hurt to get it in your account. Worst right. case, they refund your bet, right? I mean, worst case, they refund your bet, and it is what it is. But like getting, like you said, getting a White Sox at a 30 to 1 in your account 50. right now, you know, you can is, find fifty somewhere too. You can find fifties on the white oh, side. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. So I mean, like, yeah, get, getting that into your account. Look, it might get refunded depending on their policies, but get it in there. I mean, to hell with it. I mean, that's the again, shortened season. Things can be super, super wacky, especially in baseball. And now, you know, one of the other things is, you know, look, we're talking about a Dodgers team here over the course of 162 games could withstand maybe an injury or two because, you know, again, over 162 games, cream rise to the top, stuff like that. Now, Brett, this is the thing to think about and why these 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 uh, prices that are so low, I would never, ever, ever have in my account. Like an injury could be just devastating to a team. Like, I mean, like it's, it's you would not, if, depending on how long a guy is out, it could be so long that a team would not be able to recover. Yeah, injuries and just negative variants. Like teams just could just play poorly or just run below expectation for a couple of weeks. And they're all of a sudden they're like out of the playoff race in a 54 game season. Like it's, it opens up a pretty fun dynamic. If it is only 54 games, we could see some teams in the playoffs that we never thought we would see going into the season. Brett, it is, but a week away. We are looking at real live PGA tour golf that is going to be taking to a golf course, the Charles Schwab Challenge. And if you go to DraftKings.com, you can make a bet on real PGA Tour. It is very heartwarming. I woke up Monday morning to find betting lines for the Charles Schwab Challenge, and it felt like the Masters. Oh, I know. I know. I'm so hyped. And what a field we have. This, this is the greatest thing ever for the Charles Schwab Challenge. Just oh. like, I was looking at the field from last year, and it's like... Kevin now won. You got like Jonas Blix finishing fifth. You got Rory this year, man. We got Dustin. We got all the big names playing the Charles Schwab Challenge this year. So that's that's great for for that tournament. But um, yeah, I'm I'm pumped. Rory seven and a half to one. Rom nine to one. Justin Thomas coming in at fourteen to one. Interesting here on the fourth 
uh, fourth lowest odds here that you're getting, Brett, Webb Simpson, 18 to 1 here. Bryson DeChambeau, 22. Brooks Kepka 22. Xander Shoffley, 22. Dustin Johnson all the way at 28. Now, I understand that he has been, was in bad form before we went on hiatus and all of that and didn't look all that great in the exhibition match, but it's still Dustin Johnson. Yeah. 28 to 1. You know, get, give me 20 bucks on Dustin Johnson. I mean, you got Dustin at 28 and Scotty Scheffler at 33. Yeah, give me, give me Dustin. <laughs> right? He's I the mean, most, I mean, it, when he's on, he's the most talented guy in this, in this whole board. So, yeah, 28 to 1. I've never, I, don't, I can't remember the last time I saw Dustin Johnson 28 to 1 to win a golf tournament. I know. It is, it is pretty crazy. So, yeah, give me, give me a $20 ticket on old DJ there at 28 to 1. Uh, that, will be, that will be something that will be hitting my account. For sure. And look, he might be still in bad form, but, uh, you know, we don't know for sure that everyone's going to be sharp coming back from all of this and how they're going to be able to to adapt to everything. So, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, one of the very best, if not the best golfer in the world when he's playing uh, his best. And so, yeah, 28 to 1, give me the old Dustin Johnson in that one. But again, those odds up over at DraftKings article found at thelines.com and as we get a little bit closer again, still, still a little bit of ways here, but uh, as we get a little bit closer, we'll have a breakdown of that as well. Video whole nine yards for everything. What is also a little bit away is the first leg of the triple crown, but not horse racing in general. We know that that has been with us through throughout the course of the pandemic. Some tracks did not shut down and were able to continue to operate as long as fans were not in the stands. And so Horse racing, certainly seen a bit of a renaissance. A lot of people betting that had never done that before. We were able to talk to John DeSilva, a racing official, former lead handicapper for the New York Post, and he was able to break down a bunch of stuff about just the horse racing uh, industry in general. So if you're a noob like I am, it's a very, very, very good listen here. So here's John DeSilva. Now joining us here on the podcast, a very special guest this time of year for sure and everything that's going on in the world right now. We have John DeSilva. You can find him on Twitter at John DeSilva, former racing official, former lead handicapper for the New York Post. John, really do appreciate you being here as horse racing has certainly kind of come front and center during the pandemic as one of the things that people are able to still go out there one and the bet their money sports on. in the world that you could actually bet on because if you look at most of the world there was not horse racing but we still did have it in america i mean look what would you rather do play horse racing or three and three hockey from russia <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 don't ask me that question. Now, you might get a, you might get the, the wrong answer when you ask me that question for sure. But I mean, you can head over the lines right now. You can see John's article, uh, a couple of different articles up there over on the lines.com as it pertains to horse racing as well. So definitely uh, be sure and check that out. But yeah, this has been uh, for you pretty, uh, pretty it's interesting. It's been times. a very interesting time because I've been working at parks for a few years. I started off as a morning line knots maker then i was hired as a racing official but unfortunately there has been no racing at park since march 12th um everybody is anxious to get back i'm anxious to get back unfortunately we had to wait for you know the covid colors to turn yellow hopefully that will happen on friday and then hopefully the governor will give the okay for horse racing to begin at parks and then we could start racing soon thereafter but till then we just need to go out there and be patient and not go crazy like what we're seeing in the world right now so we are starting to see some of the bigger tracks like churchill downs and santa anita reopen but i mean so many horse tracks have been closed across the country and the world um but here in the u.s there were five that remained open without fans in attendance uh, right off right out of the gate and each of them saw a huge increase in betting handle as you'd expect when there's nothing else to bet on and less competition in horse racing so what what were your initial thoughts on some of these tracks like Foner and will rogers staying open and then looking back now uh have those views changed at all Going into it, I wasn't sure what to expect with a place like Fauna and Will Rogers because those were tracks that were not heavily bet in the past. But 
you look at what race was doing, I think they wanted contraction because some of the changes they wanted to make in horse racing would lead to contraction and the elimination of some of the smaller tracks. But I think what they've discovered is if you give them the product, they will bet. I mean, what happened to Will Rogers and Fawner was unbelievable. It opened up a lot of eyes that you went out there, gave them a product, and even though it was cheap horses, horses and jockeys you've never heard of and maybe not exactly the most talented ones out there, they still went out there and bet hand over fist. And now I think what's going to happen is the jockey club may have to take a step back and see what can we do to make things better because maybe less is more. But instead of doing it just all the higher tracks, there is room for the lower tracks because it's more about the timing. Because you look at places like Fauner, who ran Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Nobody runs during the week. I mean, that's why parks are so successful in the past because they ran on Monday and Tuesday and those were their best days because on Saturdays they were overlooked. But maybe if tracks could work together, come up with a schedule, they could optimize everything where everyone could be happy. John, I got a question for you here when it comes to trying to find information, because we know during the Triple Crown season, yeah, there's information everywhere. Everybody's writing articles. Everybody's coming out of the woodworks and has become, you know, horse racing handicappers and whatnot. But all the other times of the year, it's not so much, right? I mean, where do you go to get good information? What should people be looking for when they're trying to find out information about these, you know, smaller tracks and and lesser races and whatnot? And, And do you does your betting strategy alter whenever you're betting these different tracks and small does races? Alter because I've learned a lot ever since I became the morning line odds maker because it's not that easy of a job. And you do see a difference because when I worked at the New York Post, I was lead handicapper for 14 years. And I was at the track every day and I'm watching all these big pools and all these great races. And all of a sudden you go to a place like Parks where the handle isn't as much. You see more of an odd swing right before post time. And doing a line is a little bit more difficult because the pools aren't as big. I think it is actually easier to do a morning line at a place like New York where you have a bigger handle because once you get to a certain level, if you put a $1,000 bet or $10,000 bet, it's not going to affect the odds as much as it would as a place like Parks. So I've been able to learn that. So you had to go out there and start doing research on your own. You read some of the blogs. You go off to a place like the Blood Horse and the DailyRacingForum.com and Ray Pollock to get that information as well. And there are some good bloggers out there and you could find them. They publicize themselves very well. And then you have other ones who publicize themselves to no end and they don't know what the hell they're doing. So what I would suggest is people just go out there, look at everything because you never know what nugget you can pick up. And then if you like it, if you're comfortable with it, you stick with it. So we've seen a full shakeup here with the Triple Crown schedule. Now we've got the Belmont Stakes opening it up here in June. You got the Kentucky Derby going to follow in September and then the Preakness in October. How does this change the way trainers prepare their horses, uh, especially you know some of the favorites? Uh, obviously, Baffert has a, a full stable of you know contenders here for some of these races. Uh, is this something better should we really be looking at as we get closer to the Belmont and then uh, obviously the Kentucky Derby in September? It's never easy winning the Kentucky Derby, which is always the first leg of the Triple Crown. Because there's a lot of pressure and that's the race everybody wants to win. Now with what's happened in America, in the world with the pandemic, things have changed. The Kentucky Derby, who wants fans, now it's being run on Labor Day weekend. So now the Preakness switched. They're running the first weekend in October. The New York Racing Association, they had no choice. If they wanted a good handle, a good field, they had to run it before the Kentucky Derby. So they decided, let's cut back to Molinave and run it on June 20th. Now, you're allowed up to 16 horses in the Belmont Stakes. You're going to get pretty close to that. 
Now, you can't fit 16 horses going a mile and a quarter because that starts on the far turn at Belmont and you have to have an auxiliary gate and that's not going to work out. It's not going to be a fair start. So they're doing it at the end of the mile and then they shoot, which actually starts at the training track and you could fit a 16-horse gate back there. So they'll be able to do it. Training for a mile and eighth going one turn to two turns is totally different because you have all these trainers who are running and they're trying to get these horses two turns experience. Now they have to cut back and re- you're going to see horsemanship. That's why a guy like Baffert, who has been tremendous through the past years with two Triple Crown winners, having three top contenders before last week, pointing to the Triple Crown races, he has to be watched. A man like Barkley Tag, who has Tis the Law, who's won the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness with Funnyside, who's based in New York. So he knows what it takes to win over there. They have to be watched. Those are the guys you have to look out for because familiarity with that racetrack, for those jockeys and familiarity, and then train them up to it is going to be a huge key. Some of these new people, like you take a horse like King Guillermo, for example, who may or may not go. You have a trainer, Juan Carlos Avila, who's done a tremendous job running. He has no horses that's ever ran at Belmont Park. So who knows if he's going to get King Guillermo ready to win the Belmont Stakes, which is one of the reasons why he may not go, because he may not get his horse adjusted and ready to do it. So it's going to take horsemanship, and that's going to tell you a lot about these trainers, because you have to be very good to win one of these races. In this case, with all these changes, to make these changes on the fly, you really have to be good and know what you're doing. John, you have an article over at the lines that specifically just speaks to the changes in the Belmont. Just for the people who are not familiar exactly, just kind of head to toe with all of that. Can you can you speak on just kind of give us the cliff notes of that article about all the changes? at The the first change, obviously, is the first leg of the Triple Crown series now, because normally it's the third leg. And what would happen with the Belmont stakes is the quality of the field, because Many horses would run in the Kentucky Derby. If they lost, they would skip the Preakness and then come back in the Belmont. Plus, when you're running a mile and a half, once you run that race, you might be knocked out for a couple of months and you might not be able to run again for a while. Now that they're going a mile and a half, you're going to get more trainers who want to run and they're going to go into this race. Now, the distance of the race, the Belmont Park oval is a mile and a half so you're doing one lap around the track now they're starting out a shoot and they're going down the long run down the back stretch and then they go around the far turn and they finish at the regular finish line which is the mile and eight that's a huge change um because it's going to be a mile and eight, i think it's going to be a bigger field they've never had a 16 horse field in Belmont. The biggest has been 15 and they've had a couple of 14s. So that's going to be a huge adjustment, having the traffic. Plus the pace is going to be faster. When you're going that far, you're going to go slower. You're going to conserve because it's like running a marathon. Now that you're going a mile and eighth, it's going to be faster. And instead of going a 48, 49 half, you might see 45 or 46, especially a couple of the horses who might be pointing to the new Belmont stakes who have great natural speed and they may not have the experience and the condition to go 12 furlongs a mile and a half, but they definitely have it going nine furlongs with a horse like Charlatan who won the Arkansas Derby at a mile and a half. He has the speed, he has experience, but people were doubting if he can go that far. Even Baffert was doubting he can go that far. That's why he was thinking about cutting back to run into Woody Stevens for just seven furlongs to run that day. But now if Nadal is gone, Charlton probably will be running in the Belmont Stakes. Yeah, let's stay on Nadal. Uh, you wrote a story in the last week. Uh, the news broke that uh, the horse, it was the Kentucky Derby betting favorite, Nadal, injured and will be retiring. Uh, what was your initial reaction to the news and, and how it changes the construction of the field for these Triple Crown races? Because I think it's fair to say Nadal was Bob Baffert's top contender for the Triple Crown. It kind of adjusts where Baffert is going to put some of these horses in, in, you know, in in these races. It was disappointing because I thought Nadal was a better of the two Baffert horses who won at Oakland Park for the Arkansas Derby that day. I know a lot of people are high in charlatan, but Nadal showed more professionalism 
and more of an ability to improve as the race was going further when he won his division of the race. I saw the workout. Unfortunately, it looked like he took a bad step during the workout and he came back you know, with a fracture and he had put two screws in his leg and he's retired. You know, he, there's been some talk maybe coming him coming back afterwards after 90 days, but I just don't see it. We had that much money they can get it at stud. He's not going to come back. Charlton, who may not have run, now he's going to be pointed again. Now, this has happened to Baffert in the past because a couple of years ago, he thought McKinsey was his top choice. He got injured, could not run in the the Derby. So Justify, who's going to go to Oak Lawn, they turned around, put him in the the Derby. He wins that race. Three races later, he's a Triple Crown winner. So Baffert knows how to make these adjustments in these types of situations. And it's going to be a real interesting situation because horse I like, tis the law, if Nadal was in the race, he could have been the third choice. And now he might go off the favorite. So we know that everybody wants a triple crown winner. Everyone roots for a triple crown winner. Now that we are not going to have Nadal in the field, is there anybody you're keeping an eye on? Do you think that there's anybody good enough to actually win the triple well, crown? Well, tis the law is one we have to look at. I mean, Barkley Tag knows what he's doing. He's done a terrific job with him this year. And he's been patient. He hasn't rushed him. He's giving him plenty of time, giving him lots of experience. And the experience that Barkley Tag has with Funny Side definitely helps him here. The only thing he had to worry about is this jockey Manny Franco, who's never won a triple crown race. He has been the leading rider in New York the past two years. But it's one thing to be the leading rider at a racetrack. It's another thing to win a triple crown race. So let's see how he handles it. Recently, we had Maxfield, who won the Met win stakes at Churchill Downs. He had a lot of trouble and still won the Met win. People were high on him last year. Unfortunately, he got injured and missed the Breeders' Cup. The Met win was his first start back. He looked great. And if this is a horse who could come back, he is pointed. He has the talent and the potential to win the Triple Crown races. Um, Charlton, a lot of people feel that he has the talent as well. I would say those would be the top three choices at this point. But the one thing we also have to look at with the mile and eighth and more time in between races, late developers have a better shot to do it. I mean, we all saw what happened to Arrogate when Forgey passed away today. Here is a horse who is a late developer. All of a sudden, he goes to Saratoga, wins the Travers, wins that one, comes back, wins the Breeders' Cup Classic, wins the Dubai World Cup. He was a late developer. So we're in unknown territory here, and you never know when one of these late developers, whether it's one of these top pledged two-year, three-year-olds who's running out there right now. Or and there are so many other ones who could go into this race. They could develop and win it. So even though we do have top three, because this is an unknown factor, we have to give the respect and pay attention to everybody. All right. So it's the final strategy here before we let you go. And this this is mostly for me because I, I, I really started to dabble in horse racing during the break here in the sports world. I've been diving into some of the races at Will Rogers and Tampa Bay Downs and Gulfstream, studying the different factors that go into capping. The one, can, one thing I cannot figure out is what to do with morning line odds. When I first started betting horses, I was relying way too heavily on the morning line odds and betting against the public money that came pouring in before the race. That has not been a profitable strategy for me. So I have to ask, what what should we do with the morning line odds? Uh, because I don't know if these odds makers have biases or if there are specific things they're looking at that I'm not. You, you as, as somebody who has set lines, you tell me what should we do with morning lines? Okay. With myself... <laughs> People make the mistake, when I make a horse a favorite, that's a horse I think is going to win. That is the farthest from the truth. I'm handicapping the public. I'm trying to figure out what the public is going to do handicapping-wise. Now, having worked at the New York Post, I knew who my readers were. I knew who followed me. So, to me, it's a little easier. 
to handicap the public because I knew what they liked and what they liked to bend on. But like I said, it's harder to do it at a place like Parks than it would be in a place like New York. When you have a place like Will Rogers Downs and Foner, that's really difficult because they never had these type of handles before. And these guys who did the morning line in the past, they would mail it in because nobody would pay attention. I mean, who cared? They wouldn't even get $100,000 in their, all their pools. Not just, just getting $100,000 just in the wind pool. So it changes a lot. Um, you had places like Gulfstream Park where the morning line announcement gets criticized all the time, that the odds are not accurate. What he does, I honestly don't know, but it could be better. The New York Racing Association, they have a great morning line announce maker in David Aragona. I've seen him be spot on when he does his handicapping. So what I would suggest is you follow the lines, see who's accurate, and then you see if they're accurate for winning or if they're accurate for what they think the public is going to do. Like with Aragona, he is great at handicapping the public. And he also does an analysis, which appears in the program in New York. And he will use that, his morning line, in his, no, when he does morning line sometimes, he will put that in his analysis. But with most of the people out there, there is a bias. There might be some handicapping and all that. I mean, if you have a first time start, like a two-year-old race, you have to do some handicapping. I mean, there's a horse running at Belmont called Fauci. He's going. He's the 45 favorite tomorrow because of his name. <laughs> now, do I think he's going to win? I'm not picking him. I'm, if I'm going to be playing the race, I'm not going to pick him because now he's going to be overbet and I see other horses that could be better that's going to give me value. But certain situations like that, you have to take advantage of. So is he 4 to 5? He is on the morning line. Would he go off four to five? He might be, but in my value, if I'm handicapping, he's not. So you have to look at each race, each horse, because there are certain situations, like certain angles. Like you go down to Florida, when you have a train like Victor Barboza, who is 55% first start off the claim, which is unheard of, he's going to get bet. So you have to make him lower morning line. Doesn't mean that he's going to win all the time because he's still losing 45% of the time. So you want to make sure that you go against him that 45%. He is John DeSilva at John DeSilva over on the Twitter machine. Of course, find his great work over at thelines.com. Really, really good stuff on horse racing. And this has been very educational for someone like me, John. Really do appreciate Thank it. Thank you Thanks very much. Good today. luck to everyone out there. Brett, I know you have been dipping your toe in. You said it to John even there. I haven't really. Um, so it was a very, very interesting conversation for me. A lot of good stuff to break down, a lot of stuff to digest right there. I'll still admit I probably feel like a fish out of water in in the whole horse racing industry, but uh, it is fun. It's a great sweat and instant gratification for people who like that as well. Yeah, definitely. I I can't say I would have been betting horses if we had been the NHL playoffs and NBA playoffs going on right now or whatever. But um, it has been it has been a a fun experiment playing around with the different ways to to bet on the horses and kind of figuring out what betters are doing and you know how the trainers prepare these you know, certain horses for for races and you know the different track styles and it's uh it's a lot it's a lot of stuff to consume um a lot more than i anticipated but it, it has been a lot of fun and uh i feel like I'm, I'm more prepared certainly for the triple crown this year than i was last year where i was just kind of like pressing buttons <laughs> last year uh I'll, I'll be prepared for belmont on on june 20th guys there is a really listen credit where credit is due a really great article over at espn chalk about betting on table tennis and and you know we've joked about it here on the podcast but Brett I mean this is something that really picked up an incredible amount of steam over the course of the pandemic and we just talked about horse racing and being instant gratification and I don't know if any of you out there listening to this did bet on any of these Russian ping pong matches that were going on but it's pretty much instant gratification I mean these things are over in like 15 minutes. So, I mean, like you make a bet and like, you know, whether you won or lost pretty damn quick. I mean, they're like 15, 20 minute games or, and stuff like that. But 
really well researched and really deep dive into this really weird industry and kind of trying to figure out, do you know if this is really on the up and up? Do you even know what the hell you're betting on? Yeah. And uh, that's, that's the concern. And it's, it's one of the reasons why we haven't given the sport much attention at the lines or really any of any of our sites in the network, because I'm not going to pretend I know anything about these organizations who run these, you know, pink, uh, table tennis tournaments or who oversees these organizations from the regulatory side, who these players are, or like how much pay they're getting for these matches. Like, even if that information is out there, I just, I'm not familiar enough with any of it to make a read on whether it's legit. So, you know, the books here in the U S made the decision to post lines and take action. A lot of action money. Just, I mean, the handle was just churning because the games are so fast and people are watching it on stream and they want more action. It's, it, it was wild, and it, it's it's up to the books to monitor betting action and any irregular betting patterns. And from what we've seen, there hasn't been much. So, um, yeah, I mean, I it, it's the whole thing is just it blows my mind that this much money is coming on betting on table tennis. And you know the the article, which I highly highly recommend you going and reading over to ESPN Chalk. You know they asked five of the major sports books that are offering ping pong, table tennis, whatever you want to call it, if they are, you know, confident in the integrity of the matches. And, you know, William Hill did respond and said that they have seen no irregular betting patterns. Uh, Rush Street, which we know operates some very big sports books, said that they, you know, are, are working with Sport Radar and they haven't seen anything so far as to where that goes. And a couple other places that they inquired to did not respond to them when it came to the integrity of the ping pong matches. But uh, it's very interesting. If you've ever tried to watch any of these live streams that are going on, I mean, it really does look like a like, just kind of like a webcam or maybe even a cell phone or something set up. And they're just in a weird looking room with one other dude who's like t- keeping score. It, it, it's, it's pretty crazy that this is something that people are betting their hard earned money on. But, uh, you know, sometimes people are just looking for ways to to scratch that itch. And, you know, look, you and I have talked about it on the pod. It, it wasn't my cup of tea. It wasn't your cup of tea. I don't like just blindly betting, you know, on things where I can't do any sort of research. Like I joke about my my NASCAR stuff, but at least I go in and read a few articles and then, you know, kind of, you know, navigate the best I can through all of that or whatever. But you know, there's no information on this stuff. There's, there's no anywhere to actually do any real research. Sometimes you can't even find the the matches to watch live as it is. And so it's, it's a weird, weird phenomena that I don't, you know, look, you and I both know this, this is going away instantly as soon yes. as real sports come back. Yes. And that, and that opens up another discussion about like, problem gambling and maybe preying on some of these problem gamblers who just need something to bet on, especially with a sport like ping pong where the games end so quickly, you can just, you know, you get, you get your money and then you can bet on the next game, bet on the next game, bet on the next game. I, I have a, a moral problem with that if, if that's happening, but I, again, I like people should be able to bet on what they want to bet on. And if, if the books are offering odds, then, you know, people are going to bet on it. So I, I, it's I think it's a buyer beware situation, right? I mean, like, yeah. you know what you're going into. Like it is these are not the the strictest governing bodies around this. And there might not be very big prize money. Actually, it's definitely not. It's pretty it's small money. So, you know, if you think that there could be shenanigans in play and stuff like that, I mean, look, my advice has always been just don't don't bet it like don't don't do it you know i mean whether these guys should be offering or not is a a different conversation but if you're if you're questioning whether you're whether you feel like it's on the up and up or not very simple my opinion just don't bet it at all agree right yes i mean let's just let's just go at it that way any but regardless you definitely should read the article it is uh it's pretty fascinating as to what's going on with this with this entire industry right now finally uh we talked about this on the pod uh last time we were with you guys but it is up over on our youtube channel youtube.com slash play picks we did do that sports card video with eric ramsey uh, our very own eric ramsey who's been big big into the sports card industry 
Brett, I learned a lot. It's very, very, it's very hot. It's booming right now. The prices of some of these cards, uh, the more I dig into this and the more that I see kind of the fan base behind it, it is really, really crazy. I think we'll probably end up doing, you know, sporadically some more content around it here and there, kind of as the sports come back and just kind of checking in on the market. Cause it's, it is, you know, it's sports adjacent, it's sports betting adjacent. It's kind of gambling. You're playing in a market. You're every time you buy a box, you're kind of gambling that you're going to get one of the, the prized cards there and, and, and things like that. And, um, you know, look, you and I collected when we were kids, I see that the comeback here because people our age now have jobs and money and, you know, you're looking for some nostalgia and that is kind of driving the industry as well. But really, really, really interesting stuff as to the different brands, the different most sought out cards, most sought out players, all of that. And uh, you can find that at our YouTube page. Yeah. And I, I, I'm glad you guys are going to do some more because it is informational. And let me ask you this. Did this boom start like how recent did this really start booming again? Was, was Eric this said it's been about it's been coming on three years now. So it's not kind of like a Johnny come lately type thing. Right. He it's said not it's, like it's, a it's, pandemic boredom type thing. Right, this is right. like a real thing that's happening. Yeah. He, he said it's been kind of like 2016 ish, you know, so three years ish now um, that this has been that this has been going on. And, you know, uh, you'll find out kind of like the, the brands you want to buy, the different types of boxes you want to buy, the players that you're looking for, kind of all of that within the video. And uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting, Brett. I mean, the, the, the more I got like digging in the rabbit hole and I, I went down it pretty, you know, <laughs> pretty deeply. So you, do you remember Bowman baseball cards? I do. Yeah. So I guess Bowman either, was always owned by tops or got bought by tops or whatever. I, I don't know, whatever it is, but like, so Bowman and tops are now like the baseball cards to own because they have the exclusive rights with major league baseball. So the other brands can't show the players like actually in their uniforms and stuff, but, but Bowman and tops can, and they, what Bowman has done with, and I don't know if this is, they've always done this or they just started this with 2020 or something, but, they are like really focusing on prospects in their series in the cards that they came out with and stuff. And so literally when you open a pack of Bowman cards, like half the cards in the pack are like prospects, right? Like, and I'm talking like not just rookies, I'm talking about dudes that might be two and three years removed from actually making it to the major leagues. And so, wow. yeah, it's, it's crazy. One of the, mo one of the, most sought after cards right now um, is a Jonathan, uh, Jason, I mean, Jason, sorry, yeah, Jason, Jason Dominguez. <laughs> yeah. Jason Dominguez. And it is like one of the very most sought out cards in that Bowman set. And you can find like a special autographed card of his, this kid is 17 years old, like best case scenario majors in three years right i mean like i guess we've seen 19 year olds before so maybe best case scenario two years before this guy ever even makes his major league debut brett there was like a special signed card of his that sold for ten thousand dollars on ebay ten thousand ten grand on ebay like it's insanity, dude. Wow. It is crazy. But all that stuff, uh, you know, some of the guys and some of the players that people are looking for, Eric mentions. And again, we'll do we'll do a check in, especially if we are, are, are going to have a major league baseball season. Some of the guys that maybe you want to be looking for as you head into the, the season and and all that. But it was it was pretty eye opening to me. And the more that I've looked into it. Uh, pretty shocking as to the amount of money that is in the space right now, too. I mean, like, if you want one of the fancy boxes, like if you want to buy one of the fancy boxes of these Bowman 2020 cards, the boxes cost like $550. I walked into a card shop for the first time in like, I don't know, 10 years recently. I wanted to buy my my nephew, uh, Josh Allen rookie card. And I was blown away by how much like cards cost now. <laughs> so like, I, 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 I couldn't believe it. So yeah, I guess just looking at that, yeah, there is a boom happening right now because I mean, obviously inflation as well, <laughs> things just cost more than they did 10, 15 years ago, but ex ex exactly. But, but a boom. And I think, listen, there's probably room for this to settle down a little bit. I mean, I, I, 
maybe it's just because you and I come from the poker industry where I always kind of equate things back to poker, but like, so during the poker boom, everybody thought that every poker tournament, you remember this, like every major poker tournament buy-in was like either 10,000 or 15,000, like everything had to be these like massive buy-ins and whatever and all that. And like, I think that's what we're kind of seeing in the card industry right now. We're like, everything's like super premium and like everything is like high end and whatever. But you know, we saw this in poker industry and I think it'll probably be the same in the card industry as well as I don't know how long you can sustain that. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, there is only a subset of people that can afford to buy a $550 box of, of baseball cards. Right? <laughs> right. And so it seems to me like maybe they're, they're riding the, the high right now. And maybe we settle somewhere kind of in the middle of when everything plummeted and where we are right now. I just can't, it's, it's hard for me to believe that there's a long-term solution to people paying $550 for a box of cars. I could be wrong. I might be wrong. Who knows? Well, especially with the economy, the economy, the way it is right now, but we are, we are, you know, we're on our way back up. So maybe, uh, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll see. We'll <laughs> continue. We shall see a special thanks to John DeSilva for stopping by again, all his articles over there at the lines, everything we talked about here over at the lines as well at the lines, us at play picks us. You can find Brett at Brett Colson. You can find me at Matt Brown M2. And of course we are on all of the podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. So if you're listening to this on the lines.com one, thank you for stopping by, but two, if you need this on the go, you can find us subscribe rate and review at all of those podcasting platforms as well. For Brett, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week.